0: You can literally double your profit just by having mortgage and, and title for doing what you're already doing you're already giving that business to some loan officer some title company you might as well get 50 percent of the profit for
1: doing it how do most agents who don't have access to the secrets that the top agents in our industry hoard to themselves Grow and prosper in today's real estate environment? That's the question. And this podcast is the answer. I'm Pat Hyman, and welcome to Real Estate Rockstars.
2: Hi, Real Estate Rockstars. This is Aaron Amuchistegi, and I am so excited to share with you our newest head podcast sponsor. You know, and this is a company called Rent Ready. RentReady is a landlord tenant software that has everything you need to manage your rentals from your phone or your computer. No need to be tech savvy, download multiple programs, or hire a specialist. RentReady is easy to use for everyone and if you do have a question, their customer support team is available to make sure managing your properties doesn't have to be harder than it already is. RentReady has a feature for every step of the landlord process. You can list your vacancy for free to Realtor.com and doorsteps, find quality tenants with a full tenant screening process. Send and e-sign leases right from the app and track maintenance requests. Yes, there really is one app for all of that. Best of all, not only is RentReady easy to use with awesome customer service, but it's affordable as well. Get a subscription to RentReady for as little as $1 a year when you sign up for their annual plan using code ROCKSTAR. Now that's crazy, a dollar a year, why wouldn't you go sign up just to see even if you've got one tenant or want to try it with one of them so that's right you get a whole year of rent ready for just one dollar when you sign up at rentready.com it's spelled rentred com using code rockstar Real Estate Rockstars, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I am coming to you to interview. I'm out in California right now. I'm getting to interview Joe McCabe. He's out in Philadelphia. The, you know J- Joe's been on the, sh- on the show before. It's been a little over a year since he was on last. Obviously, a lot of stuff has changed in the world, and he has some exciting stuff to share with you for what happened after his Real Estate Rockstars interview and what he's working on now. And we'll talk about all sorts of stuff today. So, Joe, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm glad uh, we were able to make the time. A lot of good yeah. stuff and hope to deliver some value to the listeners. That's awesome. Yeah. And you said last time you came on, so many people reached out to you. So you were obviously delivering a, a bunch of value uh, to be able to help people grow their brokerages and grow some of their side businesses within their brokerages. And, uh, and that's pretty awesome. So tell everybody where, where you're at, where are your offices?
0: Yeah. So uh, right now, our main business that kind of was the, the catalyst for everything else is Remax Affiliates. So we're our main locations in the Northeast in Philadelphia, we're at about 140, 150 agents right now, um, and growing. But we have three locations: one in Center City, one in Mount Airy uh, or Germantown, and one in uh, the far northeast on Frankford Avenue. So now, so you've got three
2: offices, a bunch of agents all working for you. Now the, and now you, and you don't actually produce anymore. Now you're you're not taking listings and, and buyers yourself anymore. You're just growing your brokerage and growing your business. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I've I've solely stopped producing. You know, that's that's kind of like a big thing when you become a broker and and a late, lot of agents, kind of an old school mentality in a way. But a lot of agents never really were a fan of the producing broker. But I was lucky enough to be, you know, able to be be young enough and not have a lot of, you know, I don't have a family or or anything like that, so I'm able to take a little a lot more risk, I guess. Um, so I was able to stop producing and focus entirely on just recruiting and growing the business. And one thing I forgot to mention is pretty cool and. Uh, is we're licensed in uh, PA, New Jersey, New York, and Delaware, um, and soon to be Florida as a real estate brokerage, which is kind of unique. Yeah. So the how long have you been in real estate? Uh, so total, I've been in real estate about five years. I kind of went from a sales agent at Keller Williams straight into um, two, three years later, opening my own brokerage with Remax. So
2: let's talk about that transition and that strategy. So your first year, you were a sales agent. What did you do with volume your first year?
0: So I was never, real estate was never supposed to be a full-time thing for me. Um, real estate was, I had kind of set it up to where I was going to finish college. I was in the army at the time and I was going to finish college. I, I was a reservist. I was a military police investigator. And I was basically going to finish up my last year of college, go straight into the police department and uh, do real estate part time. And, And I was working at Keller Williams at the time. But while I was there, I just started to notice how easily as a broker, I could add on these ancillary services, real estate, mortgage, title, you know, if you really wanted to get crazy home warranties and everything else, which we never got involved in, I don't think I will. And I just started to realize that there was a lot of ancillary money that could be made. And it could be used as a as a recruiting tool, or a retention tool, like like Keller Williams is really good at. And so I kind of took a lot of the Keller model and and placed it in the Remax model, I guess, because uh, it was the lowest barrier to entry at the time. And uh, so I kind of transitioned right into that. I just realized that there was so much growth and there was so much potential in being an owner and and having agents that that work for you and want to work for you and giving them shares. Um, that I was able to kind of. Move from a sales agent into a broker pretty quickly, sales volume wise I was never a killer. you know I was never doing one hundred deals a year. I was twenty five to forty deals um, on any given year. I did have a year where I did one hundred and twenty transactions. It was actually the year that I opened Remax, and that was just a series of investors and commercial transactions that that um, added up to to a lot more money than I ever expected so i 've been pretty pretty good at more good and more over the past few years i 've realized that my skill and the thing I like to do the most is the logistical side of things, setting things up, acquiring new businesses, and getting into new ventures, and then recruiting agents. So I've been learned, been learning to kind of give away what I'm not good at, what I don't want to do. And that's kind of big, been the big theme of this year for me.
2: Rockstar Nation, this is Aaron Amuchastegui. Hey, I hate to interrupt the current podcast that you're listening to, but I am so excited to share this with you. I just finished interviewing the original host of this podcast, my good friend, Pat you know, I got to talk to Pat about how he started his real estate career and a whole bunch of tips and tactics that he used to be successful. So if you haven't listened to it yet, go check out State of the Market number 49 on there. I get to talk to Pat about all those different things. You know, And in there too, he talked a lot about his six steps for seven figures book and training program that he built over the last couple of years. And I realize I haven't done a good enough job of reminding all of you lately about all of the resources that we've built for you out there. So if you want to check out Pat's course, we've got like a three-minute summary video when you go to it. It includes so many easy-to-follow tips that you can follow on it, like a day-to-day basis. You can email reminders, all sorts of different things that come with that course. If you find that, you go to rebusuniversity.com, R-E-B-U-S, rebusuniversity.com look at courses you can find the six steps for seven figures book and really there's a whole bunch of other courses in there too our normal prices used to be fifteen hundred or two thousand dollars a course these are real deal professional courses but now uh, during quarantine a lot of them are priced down to like 90 bucks 95 bucks so we've slashed the prices going know right now is a time for everybody to be focusing on growth and education especially while they're feeling like they don't have as much to do and if you go in there and you figure like, like there's a lot of different courses you want maybe you don't want to buy the a la carte. You can go to futureofrealestatetraining.com and you can get access to all of our different courses for 97 bucks a month. I think there's a discount on there if you go a year or there's even like a lifetime option that you can pay. You get access to every course we ever put on Rebus University for as long as we have it. So go check out those options, Rebus University or futureofrealestatetraining.com. All right, back to your podcast. Sorry for the interruption. yeah I have met a few agents that were actually really good at it, really successful, had a lot of sales, but it wasn't but they didn't like doing it they, right. they didn't like going out and for all sorts of different reasons they felt like they felt like it wasn't a natural fit in their personality as they were out doing it and so that it's really interesting to say, hey, you could still take that, realize that it's not your personality fit it's not something that you really wanted to focus on and then be able to transition that and say, but how can I use my skills to make something different So 2015 you became an agent. You know, it sounds like for the first 3 years you did between 25 and 40 deals a year and then near that third year you said hey I want to I actually want to grow my own office and instead of doing 25 to 40 deals a year I want to see how quickly I'll be able to bring on extra agents grow this business and and what I can build it to so the if, if you're thinking back to your first year or two right and and when you were doing were you mostly a buyers agent then mostly a, a listing agent then
0: yeah mainly buyers uh, i was your uh, typical buyer's agent on, on the team, Mikella Williams. I wasn't getting the leads or, or, or nearly as much um, lead support as I wanted. Um, so a lot of that was kind of left up to me and, and I don't regret it for a minute. And this is something that is super important that I think a lot of agents come into the business and, and come into the investing world and, and they're like, you know, I'm gonna, they're going to get rich quick and they're going to make a hundred grand right away. And they don't necessarily realize how much work they're going to have to put in. Um, and while I, I didn't get very much from my team leader as far as leads and all that goes and and giving 50% is kind of painful. Um, it was really painful for two years, but, and, and that was because all the leads were family, friends, or leads that I went out and self-generated. I essentially was just out there every single day, you know, handing out flyers, going door to door, just putting flyers in people's doors. I was never like super aggressive knocking on the door. Here's what your house is worth. But Every single day, I was out there for hours just putting flyers in people's doors, calling for sale by owners. I hadn't gotten shut down enough to have any uh, issues with that. So I had no problem calling a for sale by owner. Nobody had said no to me up to that point. So I was getting really, really good at building up a strong pipeline and then keeping that pipeline steady. You know, that was something that my team leader, Nancy Ouellette, I think she's still with Keller. um, She had actually she was huge on that. It was kind of like having that system in place, you know, teaching me to have a system in place to plug in that deal. You know, if you're gonna get it under contract, get it under contract day one and move on to the next project. And that next day, you know, don't start counting those dollars before you actually have them. It's time to really focus on, all right, you have one deal, now start building out that pipeline for six, seven months out. You know, that that's where the successful salespeople were. Once you got that.
2: So as, as, as you're talking about you know, calling those for sale by owners, right? So you did two different things. And I really like those two different, different lead sources because we've had a, we've, I've had a few people reach out to me and email me and say, hey, I'm in a slump. I'm struggling right now. I need to rebuild my business, but I don't want to cold call people. I don't want to go door knock and talk to people. And it sounds like you were the same way. And so instead of door knock, but you could still hustle. So you said, instead of going and door knocking, you left flyers on a bunch of different doors. So people would see you and see that you were there, but you didn't have to have the uncomfortable conversation of knocking on the door, but they were still, that was a very like, uh, you know, non, non-aggressive sales technique. They see the flyer, they go, okay, maybe I'll give
0: a call. What did you say, what did you have on your flyer? I pretty much just said different variations. Like I would either reuse other people's deals that just sold and put them on there and say, here's what sold recently in the area. Or I would just put looking to sell a home, and, and I think I, I probably barely had any sales. So I would use my team leader sales and say, hey, we sold this in one day for 9% more than we listed it, and um, you know they're going to close in 15 days for this price. And you know I, I did that, and it was, it was months before anyone called me back. But what happened was in one day, three guys on the same block called me back. Three older guys who decided to go into a retirement community together called me back And this is Philadelphia. So Philadelphia is a high volume market. These are like $200,000 houses and it wasn't a lot of commission, but $18,000 to a college student is a lot of commission, um, 50% of that. So one day, three people called me back and said, hey, we want to list our properties and we're going to move into this retirement community. So it was the compounding effect. And after that, my business really picked up. So it was kind of like six months of nothing uh, except what my team leader gave me. And then those flyers started to compound those, the people whose emails I w- was building up and my CRM started to respond, family started to buy, people started to trust me. And it's really just about putting, you know, putting in that work. And I, and I was doing it in somewhat of a passive way because I, I was never the aggressive salesperson.
2: Yeah, I, I really love that. And so I, I think a lot of our listeners need to hear that because sometimes there, cause a lot of the methods we do hear about are very aggressive, make a hundred calls. It's right. okay. If 90 people yell at you go to the next step. And and that works for a lot of people. And that is a really good successful method for, for the people that aren't able to do it. They just can't get themselves a knock on the door and make that the, I like the idea of the flyers, just reminding people go out there and dropping a ton of flyers out there and you were doing it all the time. And then six months later, it started to pay off. And what a cool, version of that right and it's really telling people like don't give up because after you know people do send out mailers they send out letters they do flyers and a week or two later nothing happens they say that was all for nothing and you're saying yeah you for six months you had to ask yourself hey was this all for nothing and then it started what about when you call for sale
0: by owner what would you say on that pitch um i would just make up a lot of stuff you know i i didn't have many stats and i don't remember if i got them from tom ferry or, or pat Hyman's show but I would get, like, I would just tell them that, you know, for sale by owner, sell for 20% less and uh, on market and and just little statistics that I would throw out there. And I would let them know that, you know, they don't pay me until it sells. There's no upfront cost to them. Right now, you know, I live in the Northeast too. So I kind of knew who was on market for a long time. And I would just be persistent with them and say, look, you know, you can cancel the contract with me at any time. If I don't sell it, there's no loss to you. If I do sell it, um, I'm going to sell for 20% more. So why wouldn't you pay a 6% commission? And you never get a 6% commission with a for sale by owner, but I would try. And uh, yeah. you, you always get the 5% though.
2: Awesome. So really like those methods. So then you did that for the first few years, it started building. Once you got some deals, then, you know, then that snowball started rolling. You had some momentum and it became easier. And then around year three, you said, Hey, I'm doing such a good job generating all these leads for myself. I don't like sharing my commission. Uh, this is what it sounds like. You know, you didn't really like the idea of if you were generating it yourself, you were giving so much of it away and you said, Hey, I can do this on my own. So you looked around, you found that brokerage. What was it like when you first started that brokerage? How quickly did you hire people and how quickly did you transition from actually doing deals yourself to just helping your agents do deals
0: instead? Yeah. So I talk about this a lot, actually on the the previous episode I did, um, when we first opened up, like recruiting, recruiting the big agents is, is a long game and it's not, it's not as, as easy as, as you think it would be, you know, even if you offer them, you could offer them a hundred percent commission and, and you'll pay their broker fee, you know, you're, you're paying for their, their services and you still won't be able to recruit people um, because it's really about that relationship. So the only tool I had in the beginning was, Kind of a massive action approach to recruiting, where I had a slide, dial, text message, email, Facebook ad campaign targeted at every 5,000 agents in this four county area, and I was just hitting them with every piece of material I could to try to grab that low hanging fruit. Um, So within one to two years, we went to I think 45 agents, and now we're up to 140. And part of that was done by acquiring another business, but you know, that goes the same for for the sales agents. It doesn't really matter what you do. I don't know that there's any secret method to, to anything, whether it's acquiring businesses, buying properties, you know, everyone wants to sell you some program on how to do it right. But I think more than anything, if you pick one to two things and you just outwork everybody else, that's that's all I've had uh since I started. So I've just always outworked everybody, I've outcalled everybody, I've I've out texted or slide dialed everybody. And it got to a point where basically I was focusing on let's bring in the low hanging fruit, not in a bad way, but the agents that aren't producing, um, we'll make it a no brainer for them. You know, we're going to give them 85% commission, we're going to give them a low cap of 15,600. And um, we're going to give them leads. And I was going to do it in a way that didn't cost me anything. So we were one of the first brokerages in Philly to sign up with Op City, um, which for people who don't know, and, and brokers who are listening, it's a good recruiting tool. Uh, If it's available in your market, they basically upfront, they front the cost of the lead. They turn that lead for you. They get them warmed up and then they pass them off to your agents and they pay a referral fee if it closes, if not no upfront cost, but you have to be a broker to sign up. So it's a good recruiting tool uh, and retention tool. Um, So that was the thing. I was like, I got to provide leads. I got to give a no brainer commission split and people will come and And sure enough, that's what happened. And before I knew it, you know, we were going from a brokerage, that couldn't break, I would say, on my own. I never broke, you know, 25, 30 million a year for the first two years. By this third, fourth year, we're now at, I don't know, what are we, almost nine months into the year, we're at like 150 million in volume. We've got over 900 transactions, which right there, if anyone in California is listening, that sounds ridiculous, but we're a high volume, high volume brokerage, and, uh, and we've got about 140 agents, closer to 150, I think. But, um, but that's what our focus is. And that's what I'm always pushing down everybody's throats is it's not, there's no secret sauce. I wish there was, I wish there was money that you could throw at the problem. It's really going to come down to grind and work. And even the guys that do have the money to spend on that and open a call center and crank out hundreds of calls. It really just comes down to the volume piece, how much you're putting out there and, and you're going to get that back in return uh, tenfold.
2: I love that growth strategy. So you went and found a list of all the agents in your area. And then so you like, could upload the email list to Facebook and blast them with ads. And then you, could, you had their phone numbers and their email. So you would email them and, and text them and call them and say, hey, here's what, here's what I'm doing. And, the, and you said, I'm going to give them great splits, plus I'm going to provide the leads. But yeah, OpCity, I think Realtor.com bought OpCity. And, and OpCity is a really neat you know, now it's a, it's a part of a a giant business now. And I've, I've toured the op city offices in Austin a couple different times and it's giant, it's giant, giant call center. Yeah. It's very, very cool. And they'll call the the people, they'll call the lead. They'll make sure that people are interested. And if somebody is a live buyer lead, they hand it off to you as an agent and you don't pay for that unless you close the deal. So you, so you were able to tell your agents, Hey, you're going to keep 85% of your commission. But then once that commission comes in, Op City actually gets a chunk of it, but I'm sure at that point you can be like, well, that's the cost of the lead, that's not ours. I'm just gonna share our side of that. So being able to, whether you're growing a brokerage or trying to get agents for your team, I think that's a great way to try to grow is to be able to give people a better thing, be able to provide them leads, and then you targeted the people that weren't doing much volume at the beginning. uh, So that way getting, if they were able to close four or five deals from these leads you provided, that was better than, than they were doing before. Hey, Real Estate Rockstars listeners, I'm sorry to interrupt again, but I want to do a quick commercial break. But this commercial break is different. This is stuff that I think you need and this is me talking to you about some of the stuff that we had. So you know, recently we had a lot of people reach out to us and say, hey, why don't you do a real estate mastermind? Why don't you do something where a lot of the listeners can get together and do some Zoom calls and ask each other questions and really just try to brainstorm and work together. I mean, there's a million masterminds out there. I don't know if this is something that we really want to do or not. Or if we do, if we're going to limit it to maybe 20 or 30 people. We're just trying to figure out if any of you guys are interested. So if you have any interest at all in joining a mastermind with real estate agents around the country that are part of the real estate rock stars network, go to hybendigital.com forward slash mastermind and just join the wait list. It's just a really, a formal, it's just an interest list for us to see, is this something we want to be doing? So that's, that's number one. Number two, you go to hybendigital.com forward slash foreclosures. We have a two day thing that we just finished recording now it's also inside Rebus University and so you go to Rebus University and look at it if you're already a member of Rebus I'm, a lot of you guys are in the you know the monthly fee where you get access to everything so we have a new course in there 17 hours of content on how to buy foreclosures on how to find deals on how to you know do title, you know go to auction, also turn that into clients for your real estate agents. How you can turn somebody that's in default behind on their mortgages into a client. So go, you know, check out that course. Especially for you know you can you can buy the course now, but again, most of you guys already subscribed to all that. I just wanted you to know there's another 17 hours of content, great great content that I just recorded on there uh, that all of you guys have access to now at Rebus University. And then finally, we have software that we talk about on and off. It's called Pad and in Padhawk, you can use that to go find leads. What uh, You know, so everyone is really, really busy right now. And we're so, so busy, people are selling and they're saying there isn't enough product on the market. Right, so they they're, they can't find houses. Well, Padhawk will help you find houses before they're listed. It helps you find owners that should be listing their properties or people that might wanna get there. I recorded a quick video. It's like six or seven minutes long for you guys to look at, real estate agent specific on what how you can use the software in order to do it. So go to hybendigital.com forward slash leads. Again, there's a video in there. I talk about how you can use the software to do it. Check it out. If it's something that you like, you may want to sign up for it. 99 bucks a month. But it's nationwide, any city out there, and it is a great way to find houses. So right now people are saying there's lots of buyers, but we can't find enough houses. Well, maybe you can use this software, you'll find some that hasn't listed yet and make them an offer on their house. All right, back to your regular schedule program. Thank you for letting me interrupt you with that break. let's switch gears a little bit. The, so you're out in Philadelphia, the, what has it been like since March? What is like in, in, with everything, you know, with, with what's it like to, are you eating in, in restaurants? Are you doing sales volumes? What's, what's your team been like?
0: What's your feelings been like? So kind of uh kind of was got a little scary for me at a little, at one point because I don't, I don't like to follow rules, which was the part that made the army the toughest for me. And they, they shut us down. I mean, they shut us down for two months. Without saying too much, I couldn't follow those rules because I decided it was a good idea to buy the largest Remax in Philadelphia on April first, uh, 16 days after they shut us down. So I was like, "Well, shit, that's all my money. Uh, I just <laughs> bought basically all my money. I just bought the largest Remax in Philly, and we need to put the pedal to the floor. We we can't necessarily close. And so I had come up with all these ideas in my head. I'm like, "Well." There's a lot of justification. I mean, we have a legally binding contract. Title companies are definitely essential. Some are notaries. And I was just telling the agents, limit your sales business. And we just got to keep trucking on. I mean, we can't, we can't afford to close. And, and without getting into too much of whether or not I believe in COVID, you know, that, that, was, that was the thing is we couldn't afford to close. We had just made this large investment. And so I just kept trucking along. And actually during this time period, you know, they always say, well, everybody else is running out. And other real estate brokerages were closed entirely. You know, I recruited a ton of agents because these companies weren't letting their agents come to the office to close deals, telling them basically to cease and desist everything. And I was like, yeah, well, you know, you guys do that. I'm going to keep growing. And we ended up getting, uh, which is kind of a little off, off topic, but we ended up acquiring two additional title companies. We're in negotiations to buy another local brokerage. We ended up buying a healthcare company, a home healthcare company in Texas, a bar in the Northeast. What else? Uh, two little airplanes that we leased back to a flight school. That's wild. So there's just so <laughs> many opportunities. Yeah,
2: yeah. You were able to take take the opportunities that were out there and say, "Hey, this is this is hard," but you started to capitalize on that right away. And just about anywhere there was a need. I mean, if you're if you're finding out that a flight school is struggling, you're like, "Hey, we'll buy the airplanes and lease them back to you." Like that's super unique and not real estate related. But I think one of the biggest things I've learned since March is that you need to be diversified. You can't be in just one market in just one thing in just one business strategy, because there could be a crazy law that makes absolutely, you know, that you could, there's absolutely no way you could predict that all of a sudden shuts you down completely. I mean, sure. one of our biggest businesses is buying foreclosures on the courthouse steps and foreclosures have been shut down, you know, mm-hmm. since March. And so I'm so grateful for the four or five other businesses that we have because of that. And so even diversifying into, like you said, flight schools and things like that, very, 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 very cool as different ways and strategies. So now is, is, you know, in most places right now, the real estate market feels hot, with, the, with meaning that most listings get multiple offers. A lot of them are coming in over asking as long as they're marketed properly because there isn't enough on the market and a lot of
0: people are wanting to move. So right. the, is, that, is that accurate out there too? Uh, the market here is ridiculous. I mean, if it's on market for more than one day, you're extremely overpriced. Like grossly overpriced, and uh, people are still trying to do that. But the the thing, the way that houses are selling right now, I mean, these people are going to be underwater for a very long time. Um, I think a lot of people know, you know, investors know, and not to discourage salespeople because it doesn't matter to you, keep cranking, but people are overpaying for houses. And now, as an investor, is not really a good time to buy unless you find a spectacular deal in real estate. And I know you know, just from being around these guys in abundance, they all kind of have that same feel where pretty much all of us have sold or cashed out on a lot of the money we've made in the market at this point, expecting a dip. No one's really buying single family or multifamily portfolios, unless it's a killer deal. And most of my holdings are, I have a hundred single family homes in Pittsburgh and um, some other lower income areas, but we're not really buying anything there right now. We're seeing a lot of opportunities on the business side of things, like buying other companies and people who were just scared and, and, um, and they've lost significant cash flow, because now's a good time to buy a business at 50, 60 percent off, um, but not on the stock market because it makes no sense that they're so climbing. in my. Yeah. Opinion.
2: Yeah. There's a lot of a lot of fun stuff out there, and the and you're right. There's a lot of our a lot of the rentals that I have as people have been moving out. I've been just selling them right now because right. I believe that I can sell them for more than they're worth. And in a, six months or a year, or I don't know how long it's going to be, I'll be able to buy a better deal to replace that rental. And I have to do something different too because I, I'm not buying new houses, right? If I can't buy a lot of new houses on the courthouse steps anymore, I have to find other ways to modify and adjust that. So. Let's bring it back to like real estate and some really actionable stuff for our real estate listeners out there. I mean, I love the story that you've taken, you know, being an agent to growing to build your brokerage to all these other ancillary businesses. Cause I think that'll really spark a lot of things in all of our listeners heads. So keep your eyes out, keep your eyes open, see what's out there and look for the opportunity of where somewhere you might be able to help. Let's talk about like your first transition though. So the, you get your brokerage, you build it up, you have agents, you're still, I mean, you're still just in real estate, just in focus in the real estate transaction space. And I think you talked a lot last time about taking that and adding on a mortgage brokerage, right? And now you've added on a whole bunch of things. Was mortgage the first
0: ancillary business you, you latched onto your real estate company? No. So it's funny that you said, keep your eyes open for opportunities, because this is something that even just as a sales agent, I noticed with other realtors and teams, and they really had blinders on to all the extra money that was out there you know, whether it was agent making, selling that home warranty to get the referral fee, but mainly with brokers and team leaders, I right away knew that when I opened my real estate brokerage at some point, um, and prior to owning the brokerage, I did have the title company, but having a title company, having a mortgage company, those are crucial as a broker. And maybe even as a large team, you need to have those because some people say, well, how are you paying your agents 85% commission? Well, It's not without getting money somewhere else, you know, so I'm getting most of my money and most of our profit comes from title and mortgage, a very large percentage of it anyway. And that is easily, you know, especially in our area, I would say we get a 95 to 99% capture rate on our title. We basically get every single title policy that comes through our through REMAX affiliates. Um, and the agents are shareholders in that. So so it's a retention tool for us and it's huge for brokers and retention's huge right now. It costs a lot of money to get agents in. You waste a lot of time sometimes with agents who then leave you for another broker because they think the grass is greener and then they get out of the business. And so it was a total loss. You didn't even help them go somewhere else. But what we do is like our shareholders this year on title have already received or will receive total by the end of the year, like 4,900 bucks on title shares. So it's pretty good. And same on the mortgage side, we actually implemented shares but there's so much money to be made there. It's so easy to capture the business in house. And so that was something that when I was on Pat's show, I kind of hinted towards was you need mortgage, you need title, we can help you do that. Our, our title company does joint ventures for the mortgage and title side. So right now we're opening quite a few joint ventures on the title side and nationally on the mortgage side, we have locations two in California, one in Arizona, one in Georgia, uh, one opening in Connecticut and one opening in Virginia with other real estate brokers who were like, hey, I'm going to take advantage of that because I see what you're saying. I could, you could literally double your profit just by having mortgage and, and title for doing what you're already doing. You're already giving that business to some loan officer, some title company. You might as well get 50% of the profit for doing it. But ballpark numbers don't hold me to 50%, but it's about that. You know, it's pretty close yeah. to a lot of freaking money.
2: So how did you go about that? So when you went to say, hey, I want to start a title company, or hey, I want to start a mortgage, did you just research how to do it yourself? Did you find somebody that was doing it for another company and say, hey, come oh, help yeah. me? How I,
0: did you do that? I pretty much didn't know anything about anything uh, when I started, anything that I've done to this point, um, which is probably like the most important thing I want to put out there. I just bought a home health care company. I don't know anything about home health care, but you find someone to run it you, and you delegate those things out. So it's, if you know, business principles are what they are. I mean, at the end of the day, if the p and and the numbers make sense, you should buy it. Um, Same with real estate. If the numbers make sense, you should buy it. And I'm a big fan of not managing anything. So those properties that we own in Pittsburgh, a property manager runs that. Um, We got the CEO of another healthcare company. He's going to come run our healthcare company, that type of thing. So I did the same thing for mortgage and title. I found a guy on my mortgage side. It's Bruce Waller. He actually owned his own mortgage company in Vegas. He sold it for a shit ton of money. And now he runs operations and sales for me. Uh, with me, rather, and we are, you know, we kind of did that from the beginning. We started with one loan officer in house. I kind of learned the feel. It is a nightmare for compliance on the mortgage side. Audits are terrible, um, and that's why you don't do them yourself. You hire somebody. So it's worth spending that extra money. And, and you don't really have to know anything. You just have to put someone in place that can't that does know it, and they're going to do it better than you anyway. And same thing on the title company. I got really lucky with my title company. Um, it's something I dove into a lot on the past show. Uh, It's a little different now, obviously, because our title company, which initially was a joint venture of another title company, we're paying basically every time we closed a deal, we paid them a file fee out of the title premium and we got to keep the rest as profit. I think we paid $495 and we kept the rest. So, pretty good margins if you do the math on a $2,000 title policy. Um, But we had gotten so big, so quick, especially in April, that we swallowed up the parent company that kind of initially controlled us. Then we went and bought two more title companies. And now we're doing multiple joint ventures nationwide on title. And, and a few locally here in, in the Philadelphia area, we're taking over for another large company that does these, but they're having a lot of, a lot of issues. But I have someone in place there. So basically all those people that ran the parent, our previous parent company, uh, if this isn't getting too confusing, now are running all of our, all of our joint ventures for us. And then we use a headhunter or a recruiter to find, you know, find really solid people uh, to kind of fill those roles as we need them. I was, trying to, I was going to pull up what your last episode
2: was, uh, what, the, what the episode number was so people can oh, go yeah, back in.
0: I, I listened to it this morning and I was like, uh, I was impressing myself.
2: Yeah, you were really, so it looks like episode 780, yeah, 780. right? So after you came on, and you so, you so in episode 780, you go into a little bit more detail about forming those title companies and mortgage companies, and you had dozens and dozens of people reach out to you and say, hey, I want to do that. I need your help. And you started creating all these kind of like affiliate businesses with them, right? You helped people set up these brokerages. You helped them set up the title companies as like a different like partnerships and things like that,
0: right? Yeah. So actually, it was funny. I, I re-listened to the podcast just because I was curious, not only what I said, but did I actually offer that? And it turns out I, I didn't even really offer that we did the joint ventures or the mortgage ventures because I don't know that we actually did at the time. But I think after Pat's show, so many brokers, I'm talking big brokers. At this time, we had 40 agents, like I said on the show. People with 300 agents plus were calling me. How, how can I set up a mortgage company? How can I set up a title company? Can I pay you to help me? And at first I'm like, oh, you don't have to pay me. I'll, you know, I'll just tell you exactly what to do. It's, this is not a big deal. And so I'm helping out all these people. And then I was like, oh shit, this is my opportunity. So I called them all back and I was like, you know what? It doesn't make any sense. I said, the new model anyway is to kind of decentralize command, but centralize operations. So we put a loan officer in place to run your show, who's really, really good. Someone that you like, preferably someone you work with, Uh, same thing on the title side. And then we centralize all of our operations and outsource as much as we can to the Philadelphia area. And we'll run the show for you. You, you don't even have to call it Homefront Mortgage. We prefer they do now. But but at the time, this is what I was saying. And and same with the title company. They can call the title company whatever they want. We'll run the entire show for them and make them more profitable than what they have in place if they had anything in place. So all these people just started calling me. I probably fielded 30 to 40 calls. The last time I was on the show, nine of those turned into you know actual physical locations for us. And I probably recruited six or seven agents at the time. And we were, we were not an impressive brokerage back then. I mean, I, I talked a pretty good game, or at least I think I did. Um, but now we have a lot to show for it. And, and that's, you know, that's, that's one big thing that I, I see a lot of agents in this area doing. And I, I think a lot of agents get caught up in the flashiness of being a salesperson. And I would really, really caution them to more focus on your net worth. You know, if you've been in real estate for less than two, three years, you, you probably shouldn't have a Mercedes, a BMW and a million dollar house. Uh, just so you know, um, you really need to focus. You got to play the long game. Um, and if you don't play the long game, you're going to get crushed. I see it all the time. I, every bit of money that I bring in goes immediately back into buying another business, buying another property, a good deal, not a, not an emotional deal, but a good deal or marketing for your team. If that's the angle you're going to take, but just Thinking bigger, I know I got off on a tangent here, but just it just came to my mind, but thinking bigger and, and not worrying about being so flashy. I promise you that brokers, uh, this is why I was saying it, brokers who were massive, making millions of dollars compared to me, were calling me to ask me to help them. You don't need the Mercedes to close the deal. You don't need a million dollar house to close the deal. No one's going to say we're not going to do business with you because you don't have all this stuff. Um, and a lot of them are probably struggling. And that's that's the thing. I think they're going more for image than they are for sustainability and net worth and, and the things that are actually really important. And, and I think that that's just a dangerous thing. And I'd hate to see people get caught up in that.
2: Yeah. So you're saying work hard, make the money, but invest that money. You know, my biggest regret from 2009 to 2012, I flipped a thousand houses in Northern California and we were absolutely crushing it. And we had been making so much money but we didn't invest in stuff. I wasn't buying rentals back then. It was just, you know, making quick cash and spending quick cash. And we were we were buying all the flashy things. And in 2013, when that got shut down and we lost all of our money, we were thinking back like, whoa, what if I would've just kept 100 of those houses or 200 of those houses? And so when I got my chance to reset, that was my biggest change that I made is every time we were successful at something, we made sure to invest in something to keep it. Most, that's been mostly real estate. You know, my, my last, my, I guess my second to last question, you're talking about buying all these businesses. Mm-hmm. And so for agents that are new and they've done five or six deals they're probably thinking well how does how does that work when you buy businesses are you offering cash are you are you financing these things are you getting seller finance like the,
0: the planes that you did you bought a couple planes and you leased it back What, how, how do you finance so, these yeah so the money's out there and, and the money's out there in so many different ways I forget whose podcast I think it was on oh no I mentioned it on on Pat Ivan's podcast too about how I bought the single-family homes, but just how I I do a lot of stuff in general. I think it was on dropping bonds with with Bradley, and I mentioned it on there too. But when I will find a way to finance anything, whether and it's always with other people's money. Always, I never use my own money. I I try to maintain as much of that as possible at all times, just because I wanna I wanna I've done everything without a dollar, like without any money of my own. So the hundred single-family homes we basically. And now, actually, it was 100 single-family homes and then multiple deals after this. Uh, This is how we financed all of them. We have probably 116 properties total, commercial buildings, you name it. We have the property 100% seller financed, and then we exit out of those properties within six months to a year through a conventional refinance. Once you own the property, it's really, really easy to refinance them, and it's a lot less underwriting. So we'll get the property seller financed, refinance at 75 to 80% loan-to-value, and you kind of have to – you have to do one of two things. You either have to write the contract then to say that the seller will automatically hold that 20 25% difference as a seller second, which can't be recorded usually, um, so it doesn't have a lot of security, um, which is fine. They usually do it. Or buy it at a 25% discount so you know when you get the appraisal and you refinance, you don't have a cash-in refinance. Maybe you have a cash out refinance. It really depends. So I've been really, really good at structuring those deals. And then I'm usually good at every business I bought. I bought at a significant discount because I'm buying at the right time. Right now is a great time to buy struggling businesses because if they were struggling before, they're fucking crushed now. And so you know, buying Remax Affiliates, buying these other title companies, what I'm finding is that these other owners either are hurting or they're hurting because they had another business that really took off and so we're able to make good deals here and i'll usually get a large cash payment up front and then structure it so that i'm paying them something over the next two to three years two to five years whatever it is and um i just raise that money from investors or i just have the seller 100 percent seller finance it for me and with different things like with planes with boats not a lot of people are buying those items so there are banks out there that will finance those up to 100% of the, um, of the purchase price, especially if there's equity in the plane. So, and, and I'll tell you what, the plane is actually one of our best investments. So not only did it cover the cost for me to get um, my pilot's license this year, because we didn't have to pay to rent our own plane, but we probably make 2000 a month off of that plane. We 100% financed it at, I think, 89000 for one of them and we're getting like 2,000 a month back on it. Net profit, like net profit, we have no liability, they pay the insurance. It's almost a triple net lease. So we're crushing it on, that, on those aviation deals, but it's something you wouldn't normally think of.
2: Yeah, what a, what a way to diversify. You know, Joe, there was a lot of fun stuff we just got to talk about today. We got to talk about when you were a first agent, the, you were going and you were just placing flyers on doors. You weren't comfortable door knocking and having those hard sale conversations, so you just left a ton of flyers. And six months later, you started to get the sale. Right? You started to get people calling you back. And then as you kept building that, you were calling for sale by owners. It was kind of like, a, hey, it's a it's a no lose situation. If I sell your house, great. If I don't, you're in the same boat you were in before. How you rolled that into then buying your own brokerage and then hiring and then getting out of actually doing deals yourself to building up your teams, starting your title company, starting your mortgage company. And a lot of that's really applic- applicable. I want our new agents out there that are listening to know that I don't want them to get overwhelmed by your story. I want them to know that this is actually something that every one of them can do. And what I really love about hearing with you buying those businesses is saying, no, it's not, you don't have millions of dollars that you're going and buying these businesses. You're finding somebody who wants to sell a business and you're finding somebody else that wants to help finance that business, whether it could be a, a cash investor helping you on it or a bank loan or different things and it's just using that analysis of how you can use that money. Really, really great stuff. What is, what's, what's your final thought that you know for agents out there that are, you know we, we have two different things that are happening right now. Half of the agents are crushing it. They're crushing it because they're getting these listings, they're able to sell them so easy. It feels like it's 2006 where you put it on the market and you're getting 10 offers. And we have a handful of agents, the other side, that are really, really struggling because they're, they're, they're new at this. They don't have the pipelines. When there is less inventory, it's a lot harder. What, what advice would you give to the newer agents right now that are struggling to succeed in today's environment?
0: Um, The biggest thing that I'm seeing, and I'm seeing it with some of my own agents who were part-time or they just got into business, especially, a lot of people are sitting back right now. A lot of the brokers, a lot of other agents are just sitting back waiting to see how this plays out, and you can afford to do that. Um, We don't know how long this will last. We don't know if the market's going to crash. There's a lot of unknowns, and you kind of have to put all of that out of your head and keep trucking on as if everything's normal. So work harder. Work 10 times harder. Work harder than everybody else make the phone calls, make the things that maybe you were afraid to do previously, pick up the phone and and call people that maybe you wouldn't call as clients and and maybe they need you. Maybe their agents sitting back right now on their ass not doing anything. I think that that's it's a really important time to really change your business and come out of this on the other side a hell of a lot richer. And if you are one of those agents who's who's focusing, who is doing really really well, Start to focus on stacking assets, building assets, things that you can actually buy and sell. Um, it's kind of hard to sell your book of business in the real estate side, but you might be able to do that if you build a large team and you had a title joint venture and you had a mortgage joint venture, or you had a portfolio or a property management company. So start focusing on: Do I have an actual asset, um, or am I just kind of a slave to my own business? And maybe I have a ton of cash, but what is that really worth? And it, you know, is that something you can retire on?
2: I love that for advice right now. There could be people out there that actually have agents working for them, but their agents are not working very hard right now because of what's going on. So if you're the one out there that is working hard, maybe they're going to decide they need to switch over to you. So Joe, the if people want to reach out to you, if they want to ask you how to start their title company anywhere else, what's the best way for people to find you?
0: Yeah. Phone or email or Instagram. So uh, Instagram, I'm at Joseph C. McCabe. And then my cell phone's 215-868-6379. Or feel free to email me. Uh, I guess the best one is uh That's Joe at Homefront Loans. Easy to
2: remember. Joe, thanks for coming on today. Thanks for adding so much value to our Real Estate Rockstar listeners out there. And then maybe we'll have you back on again in a year or two and see how you've taken it at a whole nother step again. So
0: thanks for being here. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for having me.